0: Good afternoon, Grace Hill. Can I ask you to uh, take your seats again? Um, good afternoon. Can 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 we uh, give a round of applause to Evan? What a great job! Um, you know, when we were asked to read this scripture this morning um you know when you first come to christ you, you have a, a favorite scripture or something that that's really what you might call your life verse well second corinthians five seventeen was mine so god really uh, knows what he's doing of all the scripture that could have been called out this was the one uh, that uh, i was asked to read this morning so we're gonna read from second corinthians five sixteen. um So, if you have your Bible or your app, or it's going to be on the screen, I think, right? Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore... If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting us to the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to god for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of god my brothers and sisters that is really good news let's pray
1: Heavenly Father, we thank you for the death of love, grace, and mercy you have for us. We thank you that you gave your Son Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, to be made sin for us, so that we may become righteous, and therefore we know there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. We thank you that we have been made a new creation in Christ and we ask for a better understanding of what this means. What an amazing privilege that you can use each of us as ambassadors for Christ. I pray that you fill each of us with the presence of the Holy Spirit, so we may hear from you how to use our time, talents, and treasures in the Ministry of Reconciliation and to bring more people to you. We know we live in a broken and hurting world. How amazing it would be if all humanity became a new creation in Christ. I pray for Grace Hill Church to be a witness of our faith, to boldly declare the message of reconciliation to all with whom we we come in contact as individuals and as community. I pray that through our words and actions, they experience our love for them and the joy within us, that we may be true ambassadors for Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.
2: Amen. Dan Esperanza, thank you so much for opening us. Good afternoon, Grace Hill. How are you? Good. It's good to see you. Thanks so much for gathering with us this afternoon. Um, I am very excited, and the reason for that is we are only going to do this uh, one more time after today, meet at 4 p.m. So next week we're at 4 p.m., and then the week after that, moving our services back to 10 a.m. to a new location at a school where we'll be able to kind of spread out and use classrooms and get Grace Hill kids up and running, and so I'm, I'm really excited. I mean, June 6th is that date to put on your calendar where we hope as a church we're making some pretty big strides in the direction of where we were before uh, COVID hit. So really excited about that, and just you'll hear more about that later, but I also just wanted to make sure uh, that I mentioned it. Um, if you have a Bible, go ahead and open that up uh, to the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke, we're going to be starting in chapter 9 uh, today in our study. Uh, we've been in this verse-by-verse study of the Gospel of Luke for some time now and finally hit in chapter 9. We've got several to go uh, after this. And hey, if you're joining us online, I just want to welcome you. Thank you so much Uh, For joining us uh, as well. Uh, If I've never met you, uh, my name is Alan, and uh, I hope one day you'll uh, come by uh, Forest Grove Elementary when we uh, start there, and you'll join us, um, and I'll get to to meet you uh, as well. So um, a few uh, weeks ago now, I think it was a few weeks ago now, uh, I took my son Leland to his first Nationals game. And I was so excited to do this. So this is his first season playing baseball. And uh, I love baseball, so I was kind of hopeful that he would get into it. And he's gotten really into it. He's pretty good at it. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to take him to his first pro game. We'll see how he does. And I was a little nervous because, you know, a pro game is about three hours long, nine innings. It takes a while. So he just turned seven to see if he could hang For three hours at a game, but before I took him, I told him, "Hey, Leland, like this is so exciting! Like, Daddy got us tickets to go see the Nationals." And he's like, "Who? What are the Nationals?" And so I started to explain to him what going to a professional baseball game is like. You know, big stadium, perfect field, and you know, eat a hot dog. It's it's going to be a whole lot of fun and. You know, my son's experience with baseball is only Little League and, like, really Little League, right? So the only picture he has in his head is of, like, a Little League field. And so he was kind of like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah sure, we could go do that. Like, I mean, I think he's like, I, I don't understand, Dad, why you're so excited about this. We go see a baseball game, or you at least watch my baseball games every single Saturday, but sure, why not? Let's, let's go. And so uh, finally took him uh, to the game. And I remember if you go, you know, in Nats Park, if you go into that, the, the front gate there and you walk up to the field, it's right on the third baseline, right? You see over the field and the stadium. And I just remember seeing his face, like just wide-eyed, like, oh, wow, like this was not what I was picturing in my head. And got him a hot dog and ice cream and spent like 50 bucks on food and, you know, sat in the stands. And he loved every minute of that game, all nine innings. And actually, it was really funny because um, in, the, in the middle of the ninth, uh, so we were down 3-2. So Nats are coming up to bat to end the game. And so I grabbed my son's hat and I turned it inside out into a rally cap. All right, if you baseball tradition, and put it back on him. Uh, And I grabbed my hat and I was kind of fidgeting with it um, to try to make my hat a rally cap, but it was a little thick, so I was having a hard time. And all the while, my son's dancing to the music that they've got playing because they're switching the teams up. And I look up and I see my son on the big Jumbotron dancing. And I see me with my hair all messed up, like fidgeting with my hat, trying to get it on. And I'm like, Leland, Leland, we're on the Jumbotron. And it was just, he thought it was the greatest thing ever. It was such a cool experience for my son. And here's the thing. It's one thing to tell someone about what it's like to go to a pro baseball game, right? Try to describe it, see if they can picture it in their head. But it's another thing to go and experience a pro baseball game. To, to see the big stadium, to hear the sounds, to watch the players play, to eat the hot dog. Like all of your senses are involved, right? There is a difference between hearing about something and experiencing something. Having kind of that full immersive experience in whatever it is. You know, in our study of the gospel of Luke, if we go back a few chapters in Luke chapter 4, Jesus just starts his ministry in Luke 4. So the beginning of Luke, we read about his birth, and then we read about his baptism and his time in the desert, and then his ministry begins. And in Luke 4, Jesus says something about the purpose of for why he came to be with us, right? It's in uh, chapter 4, verse 43. Jesus says, right here, he says, he, he said to his, uh, 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 to his disciples, I believe, or to the people that are around him, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose, And so what Jesus says in the beginning of Luke and the very beginning of his ministry is that the purpose of him coming was to tell us a message, was to tell us to proclaim something about the kingdom of God. However, as we have been studying the gospel of Luke, especially over the last three weeks as we've been in Luke chapter eight, and we've read about these encounters that Jesus has been having with people, what we see is that Jesus is not just proclaiming a message about the kingdom of God, but he is giving the people he is encountering, including his disciples, an immersive experience on what the kingdom of God is like. When they encounter him, They're not just hearing something with their ears, but they experience something that they feel in all of their senses and in their souls. Because Jesus is letting them, giving them the opportunity to experience the kingdom of God. So if you think about three weeks ago, we read about Jesus calming the storm. So imagine being the disciples in the boat. The boat is rocking. You're fearing for your life. And you've heard Jesus say, he is the king of the universe. And he's explained this to you before with his mouth. But then you experience him calming the storm. Oh, that's different. That's not just an idea. That just happened. Or two weeks ago, Jesus uh, encountered the man with all the demons, right? And drove them all out. And you have this man who's literally gripped by evil. And the disciples had heard Jesus describe the kingdom of God as a place where there is no evil. And so it's one thing to hear that, and then it's another thing to see Jesus literally release that grip of evil and drive it away. Or last week, Jesus encountered Jairus, whose 12-year-old daughter died. And Jesus' disciples have heard Jesus talk about it in the kingdom. There is no death. So it's one thing to hear it, but it's another thing to see Jesus raise her from the dead or the woman who was bleeding for 12 years. It's one thing to hear that there's no sickness or pain or suffering in the kingdom, but it's another thing to feel your body be released of that suffering. You know, in the Gospel of Luke, as we've been studying it, one of the things that's been so apparent, and that is this. Jesus is a man of compassion, a God of compassion. We studied this in Luke chapter 7. When he sees people who have a need, he's moved with compassion. And the Greek word, if you remember this when we studied it weeks ago, the Greek word for that, compassion, in Luke 7, literally means like a lurching of your bowels. Like Jesus sees someone with a need and literally he gets those butterflies in his stomach and he is compelled to move towards them and do something for them. Like bodily compelled, almost like it's an instinct. I do it before I even think. We've read that Jesus is a person of compassion. And so his purpose is to proclaim the kingdom of God, the good news of the gospel. But what we also see is that Jesus also gives the people he encounters the experience of the kingdom to. And so as we start Luke chapter nine today, we're gonna read Jesus send his disciples out to go and do what they have already seen Jesus do. Jesus is gonna send his disciples out and he's gonna say this, I want you to go proclaim the kingdom, but, but you're also going to go give people the experience of the kingdom. I want you to move towards people with compassion and also have a message to deliver. So, I want us to read this Luke chapter 9, verses 1 to 17. I'm going to read 17 verses, good amount today. I think we're going to see this theme here. Read this with me. So, Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 1, says this And Jesus called the 12 together, look at this, and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out. Look at this, to proclaim the kingdom of God, there's the message, and to heal, to give them the experience. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave the town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. I love the next verse. Now Herod the Tetrarch, this is the Roman client king, this is Herod Antipas, over the area of Galilee. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed. Because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, John the Baptist by some that Elijah had appeared and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, well, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him, to see Jesus. Verse 10, on their return from their journey being sent out to go preach the good news of the kingdom and to heal, on their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. So they're coming back and they're telling Jesus like, Jesus is crazy. Like, there was this guy, and he couldn't walk, and then I prayed, and then he could walk. And I mean, they're just, they're, they're sharing the testimonies, right? And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him, and he welcomed them, look at this, and spoke to them of the kingdom of God, there's your message, and cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away and the 12 came and said to him, hey, send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions for for we are here in a desolate place. But Jesus said to them, you give them something to eat. And the disciples said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we are to go and buy food for all of these people. For there were about 5,000 men, all right? So a whole lot more than 5,000, counting women and children. And he said to his disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd and to give them the experience of the kingdom. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up, 12 baskets of broken pieces. When Jesus sends out his disciples, right? He told them to do two things. Proclaim the message of the kingdom and heal. Find people who were in need, move towards them and give them the experience of the kingdom. And what I want you to notice in the text how one was not more important than the other. They were both necessary on the mission that Jesus sent them out in. And we see this all throughout Jesus' life. They're always both necessary. The proclamation of the kingdom of God, the proclamation of the gospel, right? That's a message that must be preached, listen, in the context of physical compassion. That's how Jesus wants it done. That the gospel message is always delivered in word form, but in the context of physical compassion, where someone hears about the love of God, but also experiences the love of God through his people. In other words, you cannot properly proclaim the gospel, the kingdom of God, share that with other people. You can't do that without words, a message, and without compassion, moving towards people to meet their needs and care for them. You know, and I think if you observe the church today, uh, we have different groups within the church, Big C Church, right? Big C Church, these different groups, segments of the church that want to major on one of these at the expense of the other, Right so I think churches that lean more you could put the label on it labels aren't helpful nowadays but you could put the label on it liberal churches that lean more liberal in their theology and in their practice that they what they tend to want to do is be more fluid on the message okay we can compromise a little there because that's going to allow us to be more compassionate towards people But the problem with that is that the gospel is not a fluid message, right? The gospel is not something that we can take parts of it and leave parts of it. No, it is a truth given to us by God that we have been sent out to proclaim. And the thing with the gospel is this, is that the gospel can be difficult to hear, which is why some people want to downplay it so that they can increase their compassion. They believe that they can be more compassionate if they're a little bit more fluid on the message. But the gospel can be difficult to hear because the gospel of Jesus Christ says this, that every single one of us and every human on this planet are creations of God, image bearers of God, but we have rebelled against God. We have rejected his word. We have said, I don't want to live according to your ways. I don't see you as good. I want to live according to my way. I am somehow more wise and able to run my life more than you are, God. And that reality has caused us to be separated from God. Actually, the Bible says, and again, hard to hear, under the wrath of God. But we also have a God who's compassionate, who when he sees people in that state, something happens inside of him and he moves towards them with grace and love because he desires for them to be saved. And so he sends his son Jesus, right, to save us from this predicament that we're in, to save us from our own sin, to go to the cross, forgive us of our sin, be raised to new life, to give us new life. And if we put our faith in Jesus, then we are now reconciled to God. We no longer are under the wrath of God. That's the gospel message, but we first have to start with the reality that we are under the wrath of God and we need to be saved, which is a hard message to deliver. If you look in Luke chapter nine, verse five, it's interesting. Jesus says, and wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. So hold on, let's play this out. All right. Play this out for a second. Jesus gave them the ability to heal and to cast out demons and to cure diseases. So what, what I'm reading is that these guys went into houses where there were sick and suffering people and they healed in the name of Jesus. But they were still rejected. They were still told to get out. They weren't received, why? Like, how does that happen? How does someone go into your house, do this, and you go, nope. I still want you to leave because they were also declaring a message and the message was not received, right? Romans ten seventeen says this, that we build faith. We get faith through hearing. We have to hear the message of the gospel but always in the context of physical compassion. So if we go to the other side of things, right? So we we talked about, well, the liberal church, they wanna major on compassion, but they want to compromise on the message. Well, hey, I think if we go to some of the other side, to the evangelical church, I grew up as an evangelical. I consider myself an evangelical today and our church an evangelical church, although the word evangelical has gotten a little muddy. If we look at that church, I think one thing that's happened within the church is we've wanted to major on the message, the delivery of the message, but compromise a little bit on our compassion and say, hey, we want to be super clear in our gospel presentation, but when it comes to compassion and care for people, what I feel has happened, it's been reduced to kind of a strategy to get people in the door so we can have an audience for our message. And I think what happens when we do that, when we're not actively loving people, moving with compassion towards people, meeting people's needs, not just for the purpose of getting their ear, but out of love and generosity towards them. I think what happens is is that we we get opportunities to share the message. And what happens is we help people mentally assent to something. Maybe they go, okay, I'll accept this message of the gospel. So they believe it up here in their head, but they don't believe it in their bones. You know, it'd be like if I were uh, to tell my wife, I love you. I'm interested in you. I'm interested in the things that you're interested in. You know, when I get home at the end of the day, I wanna hear all about your day. I could say those things. But if my wife's experience is that I'm not interested, I don't ask her about her day. I'm not really affectionate towards her. I don't seem interested in the things that she's interested in. If that's her experience, it doesn't matter if I said it. She's always going to fall back on her experience to decide what is true and what is not true. And it is the same thing with the gospel message. So sometimes, I also fear on this side, what's occurred is evangelism has kind of turned into like a timeshare pitch, right? Like, I'm going to take care of you. Like, come on, let me give you two nights in the, in the resort, I'm going to give you a nice meal, but here's the catch. you got to suffer through two hours of my pitch. And maybe I sell you. Maybe I do. But then you always regret it afterwards. And so care for people, moving towards people with compassion has become something of a way of just getting them in the door instead of something that we see as being equal with the proclamation of our message to move people towards compassion. So in our text, if you go to when Jesus feeds the 5,000, I find this really interesting. You know, so Jesus, this, this crowd gathers around them. It says in verse 11 that they were speaking of the kingdom of God to them. But then the disciples, right, it's kind of like, all right, the day is over. Ministry time is over. Now, the disciples are like, hey, Jesus, go send the people back to the towns. It's late. They need to go find something to eat. They need to go find a place to sleep. Go send them off. And Jesus is like, hold on. The day is not over. Ministry is not over. Yeah, maybe we're done proclaiming the kingdom for the day, but now go feed them would still continue to care for their needs, to give them the experience of the kingdom, right? Our continued compassion for people is just as necessary as our continued proclamation. And I think what Jesus is teaching us here in the gospel of Luke is this, is that both are necessary, that one is not more important than the other in order to properly proclaim the kingdom of God to our community, to our neighbors, right? They both must be included. You could put it this way. A clear presentation of the gospel without compassion is unclear. I'm gonna say that again. A clear presentation of the gospel without compassion is unclear. And so Grace Hill, like this is our mission. As Jesus sent his disciples out, so he's sending us out in the same exact way. This is the mission that God has given us. As the Lameis just read for us in 2 Corinthians 5, to be ambassadors of Christ, to represent his kingdom, and so, of course, he would, call, he would want us to represent his kingdom in the same way that he represented his kingdom. Through the faithful proclamation of the truth and through radical compassion and generosity for people, caring for their needs. Now you go, Okay, Alan, but I've got one problem. All right, like Jesus gave these guys the ability to heal, right? Jesus gave these guys the ability to cure diseases, to drive out demons, they had miraculous ability. And so, of course, they're gonna go off and they're gonna find people and they're gonna go you know, care for their needs. They're gonna heal them and then they're gonna proclaim the gospel and that's what Jesus did. Jesus himself had the ability to do all of these things. We don't have the ability to do those types of things today or at least in the normative way that we see it here in scripture. So I don't know, how does that square to our experience today? How do we give people the experience of the kingdom when maybe we can't do it in the exact same way that we see in our text today? It's a good question. You know, I think in the New Testament, the purpose that we see for miracles and signs and wonders, especially in the gospels when Jesus was here and also right after in the apostolic era when the apostles were still Uh, Around and they were ministering and starting the early church. I think in that era of history, God gave these people the ability to perform these kinds of signs and wonders for a very distinct purpose, and that was to confirm what was the word of God. I mean, if you think about it, back then they didn't have a complete scripture, a complete Bible. They had parts of the Old Testament Right, They were compiling the New Testament, but they did not quite have a complete Bible yet. So God gave them the ability to do these signs and wonders in order to confirm, hey, the things that this guy is preaching is true. It's from God. And so you can believe it. And so the reality is this, that today we don't need that. We have a complete scripture We know what God's word is. We know what we should preach and what we should not preach. It's this book. This is the message that God has given us to proclaim. We don't need him to tell us what the message is because he has given it to us. But the reality is this, is that in order for someone to experience the kingdom they don't need to experience a miracle or a supernatural event like we read about in scripture here. For someone to truly experience the kingdom, what they need to experience is compassion. A kind of compassion where someone says, I see you and I'm moved by you and by your needs and your longings, and your desires, and there's something in me that is compelled to move towards you and meet those needs. I believe that's a rarity in our world today. We might go, oh man, miracles are rare, supernatural signs and wonders are rare. What about true compassion? Compassion. you know we can give people the experience of the kingdom of god most profoundly through seeing them focusing on them and moving towards them with compassion people don't want to see signs and wonders they want to be seen and so it's simple no, we don't have the, the, the miraculous ability that these guys had, but we do have the ability to proclaim the glory of God because we have been given it and to move towards people with compassion because it's then that we're properly representing God, that we're being his ambassadors of his kingdom. Right, listen, people can believe in a compassionate God if that God has compassionate followers. And so how? Like, what should we do with this? What does it mean for us uh, to do this in our everyday lives? And I, 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 could, I could talk a lot about this. I had to cut a lot of this chunk out of my sermon. And so I, I believe that we are called, I believe we're called to do this as a church, corporately, together. And I also believe we're called to do this individually in our lives with our neighbors, our coworkers, our friends, our family, all of those things. But, but today, just, just for a little bit, I, I, I just wanna talk about the church. Because I do believe that what God has called us to do as a body is to pull our resources together, to come together as the corporate body of Christ and go move towards our community and our neighbors with compassion, declaring a message of the gospel that people very well might reject, but also seeking to care for needs. This is, this is why at Grace Hill, we started this ministry called The Gap. You know, one of the things we've discovered over the years is that, you know, many of us in this room, we have a lot of support system. We have a lot of people in our life that are, if things were to get really hard, financial hardship or whatever it is, we've got people who would come around us and help us, hold us up, help us to get through that hard season. But we've also discovered there's a lot of people in our community who don't have that support system. There's absolutely nothing. And so when things get hard, financial hardship, medical hardship, violence, abuse, things like that, there's no one to help them stand. Yeah, they try to rely on the government. The government can't really do much. So there's a huge gap for people, right? This big gap where people need a support system. And so we've been dreaming about this ministry. What would it look like for us as a church to pool our resources and to go, hey, we as the body of Christ, because we've been loved so compassionately and generously by God, we wanna go love people like that compassionately and generously and stand in the gap. And so we're dreaming this up, and check this out. Then we get contacted by Fairfax County. Fairfax County says, hey, we want to ask if you would do something. Would you help us take care of families who don't have a support system? No lie. They call us. There's one other church, a church that we're partnering with, City Light over in Falls Church, that's doing this too. They're doing a pilot program with us. What they're doing is they're feeding us families who have need, no support system. They're teetering on the edge. They need someone to stand in the gap. And they said, can we just start giving you families and would you guys do that? And we're like, yes. And so we've started to roll that out and y'all, it's been messy. We don't have all the logistics figured out, but the county said, will you do this? And we said, yes, we will. We'll figure it out as we go. But it's an opportunity for us as a church, right? To move towards our community and our neighbors with radical compassion and generosity. And yes, proclaim the message of the kingdom with our lips and at the same time love people in such a way where they're now experiencing the kingdom. Y'all, I saw this this weekend. Late Thursday night, I hope it's okay I say this. Late Thursday night, I get a phone call from Laura Kane, who leads Young Lives. Hey, I'm on my way. I have one of my girls is in a violent situation right now. She needs to get out. And I said, okay, you're going. Uh, who's with you? No one. You're by yourself. Yes. All right, stop. I'm coming to you. I jump in my car. I go there too. Call the police. Get them involved. We go in. We get this girl out. Evidence of abuse. And so we get her out. We get all of her things out. And then I saw someone in our church step up and say, hey, she can live with me. So we moved her in. And I saw people in our church say, Hey, what does she need to eat? How can we clothe her? How can we help her? Like diapers for a little two year old boy and all of these things, right? Just these people she doesn't know surrounding her and saying, You're safe and you're seen. This girl is hearing about the kingdom and about the gospel from people in our church, from people involved in your life, she's hearing the message. She's hearing it. But even more profoundly, she is experiencing it. It's not just words. It's God's people saying, this is real. And that's why we're here for you. You know, in our text, uh, chapter 7, I love this verse. It says, now Herod the Tetrarch heard about what was happening, and he was perplexed. Heard about this Jesus guy going around and his disciples proclaiming this message and healing people. It says, he was perplexed. Why? Why? Because I'm all of the buzz about, I mean, people were getting their needs met, people moving towards them in compassion, the, the proclamation of this kingdom, of course Herod was perplexed. It was probably a threat to him. You know, this week I was talking to Evan, he reminded me um, of uh, a similar thing happened a few hundred years later in the Roman Empire with Emperor Julian. So Emperor Julian was in like the... 360s AD. And if you remember uh, early 300s AD is when Constantine made Christianity the state religion of the Roman Empire, right? So the church started growing a little bit more publicly then. And look at what Emperor Julian said in 360 AD about the Christians. He said this, he goes, it is disgraceful that when no Jew ever has to beg and the impious Galeans, the Christians, support not only their own poor, but ours as well. All men see that our people lack aid from us. This emperor was recognizing and it was irritating him that the Christians were caring for the people of the empire. And so that frustrated the emperor because he wanted to be the one to take care of people, but the church was doing it. He was perplexed. Actually, it's a fascinating story. Emperor Julian even started kind of like a state clergy. He started to copy the church. It wasn't religious. He was just trying to steal all this from the church because the church was doing such a good job caring for people. And I'm just wondering, what would it look like for the church, the Big C Church, and yes, Grace Hill Church, to be perplexing to the governing authorities because of how generously we take care of people and move towards them in compassion. It's what Jesus has called us to do. I'm so excited we have this partnership with Fairfax County. Like my, My hope and desire is that we perplex them. And I hope and I pray that as the church, we step up to the challenge and they go, man, we reached out to the church for help and that was the best thing we've ever done. so this is what we're called to do right here, to represent the kingdom of God, to be ambassadors of Christ by delivering the message of the gospel on our lips and not wavering from it, and at the very same time, moving towards people in compassion to love them and meet their needs. That is what God has called us to do as a church let me pray that we would be faithful to that. God, I, am, uh, I have been uh, this week as I've prepared for this message and studied the scriptures, I've, I've been just overwhelmed with gratitude for the opportunities that you have given us as a church to love people in this way, to represent your kingdom in this way, and at the same time, how our church has stepped up to the plate every time a need is brought to us, I feel like our church goes above and beyond. And so God, I praise you for that. And Lord, I pray that you would continue to give us the opportunities, give us the ability to love and serve our neighbors and our community well. And God, I also pray that you would help us to be faithful, to share with our mouths the message of the kingdom, that it's not just us that is moving towards them in compassion, it's not just us that loves them, but there is a God who does too. A God that has moved towards them in compassion in and through Jesus. So God, help us to be faithful, to introduce the people that we get to serve to Jesus as well. And Lord, we pray that you would bring many to Christ through your church being true ambassadors of Christ. Pray these things, in Jesus name, amen. You know, the only way that we find the strength and the motivation to care for people in this way is through understanding that this is exactly how God has cared for us in and through Christ. to know that you have a God that loves you and moves towards you and desires for you to be saved and to thrive. So this is why we take communion together. It's to remember the cross. It's to remember that Jesus allowed his body to be broken so that we wouldn't be under the wrath of God anymore. And he allowed his blood to be shed so that we would be cleansed of all unrighteousness and be declared righteous. So this morning, as we think about these things in Luke 9, I also just want us to spend some time remembering what Christ has done for us, how he has loved us in this very way as well. And so when you're ready, I just wanna invite you forward to the tables. We have two tables with communion on them invite you forward to take some communion, go back to your seat. And I want you to meditate on what Christ has done for you. You can do that right now.